107.9 Orange FM. Another Saturday is here, and this is the Orange Health Lounge. It's um, 12 minutes past 8 o'clock, and my name, as always, is Dr. Chrissy Jima. The Orange Health Lounge is your number one um, radio show for everything health and health-related um, matters here in the Ashanti region and beyond. As always, our show is packed, and my guest is already seated here um, in the studio. And we're also live on Facebook. You can go on Facebook and type in Orange 107.9, and you can watch the show live and also drop all your comments there. As always, let's kick off the show with um, some COVID statistic. You know, COVID is, is still out there. COVID is real. Um, vaccinations for the second dose of the AstraZeneca is ongoing. If you haven't had your second shot, make sure you proceed to the nearest health center where you actually took your first shot and get your second shot of the COVID-19 vaccine. I had mine yesterday, no side effects, I'm feeling well. Um, over the past 24 hours, this is the update, we have 449 new cases, bringing our total active case count to 6,940. Um, it brings the total confirmed COVID-19 cases since the outbreak in March to 120,452 cases. Of these, we have unfortunately crossed the 1,000 um, patient mortality mark. We are at a total of 1,052 um, mortalities from COVID. But when it comes to Ashanti region, our total number of COVID-19 cases stands at 20,164 COVID-19 cases. So like we always say, mask on. Um, Make sure that you social distance and make sure you use your hand sanitizers and your face masks everywhere you go. All right, so my guest is here. Um, you know, today we're talking about medical negligence and my very good friend and brother, um, Mr. Kwame Brobe Apia. He's executive secretary of the Advocacy for Medical Malpractice Victims, AMMV. And he's here today with us um, in the studios to discuss all the things that we usually want to find out if we can do as patients and as medical personnel. And so he's going to break it down. So if you're a medical personnel, you'd want to listen to this show. You'd want to call your colleagues that the Orange Health Lounge is on and they're discussing medical negligence. Kwame, good morning. Good morning, now. <laughs> Long time. Yes, dog. I've been around. <laughs> yes, you've been the busy one. Yes. Oh no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm usually not busy. <laughs> really. I'm usually not busy, but it's good to have you here sure. on this Saturday morning. Um, Kwame. So, uh, first off, let's start with your um, organization, and if you can tell us a bit about what you do before we come to today's topic. So, AMMV. What, what is it that you do there? So, um. <clears throat> AMMV is a non-governmental organization that has been set up 
uh, to primarily create access to justice for medical malpractice victims and also to undertake activities aimed at improvement in patient safety basically in addition we also try to have a good relationship with um, practitioners in the medical field to see how best we can help sharpen their knowledge about incidents and occurrences of um, medical malpractices in a healthcare delivery system by trying to run uh, workshops and training sessions for them and then trying to also um, find out the causes of medical accidents what is actually happening on the medical landscape in terms of how accidents come about and how we can put in measures to minimize the incidence of such uh, medical errors so basically our primary objectives are to create access to i mean most of the vulnerable people who fall victim to uh, medical malpractices and then also to put in activities or create activities that would um, help improve the safety of patients when they attend health facilities for healthcare. Okay, so you're basically an advocate for patients. Exactly so. Okay, now this whole um, issue of medical negligence, or should I put it, medical malpractice, to make it broadly, um, what's, what's, what motivated you to start your organization? Well, so um, obviously NGOs are organizations that work in a social space to ensure the welfare of the people around the I mean areas within which they Orange operate. We took a casual look into I mean healthcare in Ghana in general, and then we came up with the realization that many a times a lot of people come on radio to give narratives of how they've been treated at these health facilities, how they have lost loved ones, and don't even know what actually transpired. People come out to tell all sorts of stories regarding the kind of treatment that they have. So we realized that our patients in Ghana, as vulnerable as we are, did not have any math piece. So then if you go to the health facility to seek health care and anything happens on toward with respect to you getting injured as a result of um, health practitioners negligence you are left on your own there's nobody to speak on your behalf and unfortunately most people don't even understand the processes that goes on in a facility so many a times when people go to hospitals and um, I mean they get injured they sit back home and think is their is their fate I mean it was bound to happen because they don't understand the science behind what goes on in the health facilities neither would they be able to comprehend that um, this should have been done and wasn't done so then probably that could be a cause of whatever they are suffering from mm -hmm. there have been situations where people had complained bitterly about losing loved ones and suspecting that health practitioners might be i mean liable for the death of their loved ones so we decided to put this organization up mm -hmm. to serve as a platform that would i mean open up an opportunity for victims of i mean medical negligence to come out share their narratives and then with the experience of I mean people in the organization from varying backgrounds will be will be able to I mean weigh the narratives, do the necessary investigations to ascertain whether or not what they are saying has any merit legally. And then if we are able to establish a prima facie case, then we try to I mean go ahead and seek justice for I mean the victim. The point is many of the narratives people put out on radio mm -hmm. do not achieve any results because Nobody can sit in his or her home and then 
pronounce liability on a medical practitioner. Mm -hmm. It's only a court of competence jurisdiction having listened to both sides in terms of, I mean, the parties involved in the matter that can, I mean, say that the practitioner or the facility, there's that issue of liability and mm -hmm. then determine the way forward. But I think since we started working, people are getting to have much more understanding about how things should happen what their rights are as patients, what their responsibilities are as patients, and then gradually we are making headway. Mm. But I mean, Kwame, the 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 fear. Let me put it that way. Um, good morning to all my colleagues who are watching us and listening to us and sending me comments and distracting me. Thank you very much. <laughs> the fear is that um, sometimes the patient's perspective of what has transpired in hospital is not the full picture. It's not actually what has happened. It is their version of what has happened. And like you rightly said, many of these patients will quickly run to um, media outlets, TV stations, and all that, or now social media, and type out what they feel is their position which is supposed to be right on something that's happened in the hospital and if you're not careful everybody jumps on the side of the patient well yeah i get what you mean but you see what we need to establish and for our listeners to know is that one every health institution institution works with protocols before you can say somebody has been i mean negligent mm -hmm. in his or her duties you need to establish that there has been a deviation from the set protocols with which that practitioner is supposed to work. Mm. In a layman's sense, I mean, if the patient runs to the radio station, the radio presenter, him or herself, might not even understand what the patient is saying. Mm -hmm. They only mm -hmm. want an avenue to air out their frustrations. And sometimes people just want attention. We follow all these things with emotions because mm -hmm. the listeners themselves also don't understand what goes into the provision of healthcare, <laughs> let alone to be able to determine that there has been a breach of the duty that the practitioner owed the patient. Mm -hmm. The whole thing, medical negligence or medical malpractice, so to speak, is a very complicated area. It's complex in nature. Mm -hmm. So it is quite difficult to prove. You just can't sit in your room and say, oh, that is it. I mean, I've been injured and that I have a point. You need to really investigate thoroughly mm -hmm. and then get your points and your facts right to be able to make a claim. You just don't stand up and say you are going to make a claim. Mm. All these emotions that people come out to talk about in the radio say, to be honest, some of them might also be true. But the point is, because the patient does not understand what his or her rights are in assessing healthcare, and also does not understand, what, I mean, the processes that they go through, mm -hmm. and in this case where doctors always complain of doctor to patient ratio, and for that reason, use that as an excuse <laughs> not to give all the relevant oh, information to patients. Mm -hmm. You realize that. The account that the patient would give, mm -hmm. leading to whatever injuries they might have suffered, mm -hmm. the account the relatives of a diseased patient might give, leading to what their suspicion of, I mean, negligence in terms of the death of their, their, their beloved one is concerned, might not be accurate. Mm -hmm. And so if there are inconsistencies, it becomes difficult to even make a point. And it's simply as a result of the fact that the patients don't know what to look out for when mm -hmm. they have visited the health facilities. Okay. So... The patient already is vulnerable. He or I mean, she doesn't know what is happening. Mm -hmm. They come to the health facility. They are given an, uh, I mean, an appointment to meet a doctor. Mm -hmm. At that point, there's an establishment of a contractual relationship. Okay. So, At the, the point where 
you are you are you are the moment i come to a health facility mm -hmm. i ask for i mean a folder to be opened for me or whatever correspondence happens at the records unit and then i pay a money once consideration passes i have a contractual relationship with you even though for me as a doctor i have no idea that that has gone so on. that is why when there are issues concerning medical malpractice mm -hmm. most of the times they don't touch the practitioner it's the facility that they talk to because mm -hmm. nobody wakes up in the morning and says i'm going to the Dr. A or Dr. B, but mm -hmm. say I'm going to the hospital. Okay. So what it means is that whatever relationship you have is with you and the facility and not the practitioner. And not the because practitioner. the practitioners are employees of the facility. Yeah. And the concept of vicarious liability comes to play when instances of, I mean, negligence comes out. Okay. We'll come to vicarious liability and all the nice uh, legal terms that are out there. Um, you're, if you're watching us live on Facebook or if you're listening to us live on the radio, definitely your dial is on Orange 107.9 FM and we're transmitting live from the Kumasi City Mall. The Orange um, Health Lounge has a new partner um, and we are proud to announce that Marie Stops Ghana is proud to be associated with the Orange Health Lounge. Um, now, Kwame, let's, let's start from the point of what constitutes negligence in terms of medical practice. We say it's commonly, oh, the doctor was negligent or the nurse was negligent. Like, when we say medical negligence, what's, what does it really mean? Okay, so what we say medical negligence? Medical negligence occurs when a doctor or any other healthcare professional provides sub substandard care to a patient. So in other words, what we are trying to imply is the fact that the healthcare professional fails to provide the type and level of care that a prudent, I mean, locally trained person or somebody has a similar skill would have done in that space. So okay. if, for example, there's a set protocol with which doctors, I mean, give out a certain procedure, give out certain treatments, do their own diagnosis and all that. They are guided by protocols. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to follow a certain pattern, even mm -hmm. though there are issues where differentials comes in and all that. But then if a person with a similar skill would have done that in a different way and that person failed to do it, leading to an injury, then we say, I mean, the person has been negligent in the performance of the duty. Mm. It, is, it becomes mal, a malpractice when it is done by a professional. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when we talk about medical malpractice, we are looking at um, help. I don't want to be talking about doctors because in Ghana, everybody <laughs> thinks anything medical malpractice is about a doctor. Yes. But there are a whole lot of I mean, Ev everybody who works in the exactly. health team. But you know, in our suit. country, anybody that wears a lab coat is a doctor. So <laughs> <laughs> I am just careful with my words so I don't get held up for claiming that doctors are negligent. True, and that's not the problem. We, we are talking about health practitioners in general. So if there's a set protocol with which the person ought to have done something and the person failed to do that. So in negligence, we are just talking about carelessness. Mm -hmm. The person has been overly careless in executing their duties and then um, they really don't care about the implications. Mm -hmm. And in malpractice, we are looking at the professional duty of care, where the, the, the practitioner, because of the professional nature of what he or she does, owes the patient a duty of care. So then when that duty of care is breached, then it leads to a legal course of action just for the fact that there had been acts of omissions and all that in the course of the person discharging his or her duties, basically. Okay, so, so, so basically, um, omissions, um, maybe um, 
not sticking to standard protocol when it comes to patient care? And must it always lead to harm when it comes to issues of professional negligence or medical negligence? And like you rightly said, it's not just about medical doctors, nurses, midwives, lab personnel. Anybody who works in a healthcare institution can be charged with um, or can be dragged to court for medical negligence. The standards that you speak of, um, there are various gray areas within um, our practice. So as, as you were talking, um, s someone sent me a message, and I'm, I'm going to read it out as, sure. just as the person typed it. So he says that, uh, good morning, doctor and your team. I went to a hospital with my dad, and he was given two of the same antihypertensive but different brands to take. I later consulted a pharmacist who clarified for me that he's supposed to take one of them and not both, but my father had already taken two of the same drug. Can I sue one, the doctor, two, the hospital, three, the pharmacy of the hospital that gave me the drug without the right advice? And does that constitute medical negligence? I mean, that is part. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the scenario the person is putting out there. But you mm. see, it plays out differently. Mm -hmm. For example, if you want to come under the... Orange 107.9. Mm -hmm. We would have to prove injury as a result of the person's negligence. Oh, okay. So in medical malpractice, you make a claim when there's an injury or death. Okay. But they can sue under negligence. They can sue under, under negligence. negligence. Yes. Because okay. the person had done the thing with careless abandonment. What if what the person did had resulted in, I mean, the fatal thing, I mean, leading to a complicated kind of thing? Sometimes mm -hmm. the patient might not even, I mean, have, um, feel the outcome of whatever mm -hmm. mistakes the person might have. It takes time mm -hmm. for you to realize that, oh, so if I'm suffering from this, then it could be a result of what was given me two years ago. Because if it's something that is done continually, then the effect will be compounded over time. So, mm -hmm. there are two angles from which you can tackle the matter here. Looking mm -hmm. at what has happened and then how you want to approach it. If it had been a case of then you say that professionally, the person did not exercise a duty of care. Okay. But now that, I mean, for example, in this case, he was able to realize that. Yes, like I mean, someone was able to point it out to him. So, what it means is that whoever prescribed that medication had been careless in exercising his or her duty. So, the person has been negligent. But, Kwame, the... The, hmm, so I have to play the devil's advocate plans because <laughs> this one, it, 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 it affects us directly. <laughs> it affects us directly. Um, good morning to you, Vil Parker and Richard Mason, who are watching us live on Facebook. And good morning to everybody who is also watching us live on Facebook. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, you can drop it on our live Facebook wall or you can send it to us via WhatsApp on 0548501584, um, If you're a healthcare practitioner and you want something clarified, you can also send me a comment or when I open the phone lines, you can also call for us to clarify this thing out. Um, you see, Kwame, the, 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 there's a thin line between um, what is standard and probably what is right, you know. Um, so most of the time, you find medical personnel varying 
what we see as standards based on our environment, um, what is available to us. So assuming someone has an accident and comes to the hospital and immediately I don't have a POP, someone would improvise with, um, let's say, a cardboard to splint the limb. Um, you know, at that point in time, I'm helping you. I'm not causing you harm. But if in that process something happens, um, can the patient take me on? <laughs> Doc, the person can take you on. This is the reason. Hey, it is not of any. No, interest. I'm helping you. How would you know you are helping him? I but, mean, but you've come to us. I'm, I'm, I'm helping the, the, you. The understanding of the patient is that uh -huh. he or she is running to a professionally trained person who would exercise every skill and knowledge available to him at that material point in time to save his or her life. That's the, that's the understanding of the patient. Mm -hmm. The patient doesn't care what your, I mean, systemic failures are. I mean, it is not your fault as a practitioner that you don't have POP. For which reason, you would have to improvise. If it worked well for the patient, fair enough. I mean, you wouldn't have any issues. But then if it doesn't work, I don't think anybody can go to the courtroom and tell the judge that, look, I should have done this, but I didn't have it, so I did this and it led to this. That is a form of carelessness. You need to find a way. That is why when we are talking about medical, I mean, malpractices, there's a bit that concerns systemic or institutional failures. In this case, it is not the fault of the doctor per se not to ensure that I mean certain materials are available. So mm -hmm. what happens is that because the doctor works in the, normally, what we do is that we try to ascertain whether the doctor or the practitioner was working in the scope of his employment. So, okay. for example, you have come to work, you've been asked or taxed to do a particular thing. You have a role to play during the period that you are there. If it happens within that space mm -hmm. or the period within which you've been employed or what you've been asked to do. Mm -hmm. You cannot run away from liability. But normally, it is the institution will go to first because the institution failed to make available what you would have needed to I mean, fix it. Okay. And that is why if you get people who don't want trouble, I mean, in other jurisdictions, they say we are practicing I mean, I mean, defensive I mean, medicine and all that because they don't want to have problems here. Um, but nobody likes trouble. Though. Exactly. <laughs> but the point is, so when, what, what I believe in is that now, People are getting enlightened about some of these things. I am very sure in my mind that at a point in time, health practitioners will also rise up against their health, I mean, management of their facilities to ensure that the right things they need to work with would be available to also help, I mean, absolve them from some of these issues because the patient will never be kind enough to say that you were trying to help him or her and for that matter, something happened which is not your fault as a result of the lack of something you would have worked with. Mm -hmm. They will always make a claim because they feel they've been injured. Whether you did the right thing, whether you were kind enough to try to help or whatever. And normally, mm -hmm. the people or the patients that you think are the ones you are helping, they are the ones that give you more problems. I don't even notice that. It's true. Yes. The very patient that you think, oh, this one... The ones that you, you break your back and go exactly. out of the way. Exactly. Um, because, out of the normal. Exactly. Because in doing that, at a point mm -hmm. in time, as human as we are, you get emotional. You mm -hmm. wish to help people. You wish to save lives and all that. Mm -hmm. But the system is not supporting your efforts. So what happens is that in your attempt to save the life, you might even end up complicating the matter. Mm -hmm. Because you need something to work with to, I mean normalize the situation but that particular uh, thing you need might not be available mm. so 
in your estimation, you might want to go with other, or, I mean, alter, some alternatives which mm -hmm. will not end well for you. And the most important thing is that, obviously, the physician is responsible for the clinical decision on the patient. Yeah. Even though there are other people who also partake in the day-to-day, -day, I mean, care of the patient. Mm -hmm. The physician that determines eventually what happens, they can use their discretion against the protocols that are there to remove, take some actions here and there. But eventually, what the practitioner has to bear in mind is where the thing is going to end. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter because the law does not deal with emotions. Mm -hmm. It does not deal with your intent per se. I mean, mm -hmm. what you ought to have done that or what you thought you were doing to help. Mm -hmm. It looks at the results. No, but Kwame, we, we go to work. Um, good morning to you, Yasapoma. She sends a message. I'm going to read it shortly. We go to work to essentially save people or make people better or alleviate whatever level of um, suffering or discomfort that they have. Um, when, when the facility you work in does not have adequate resources, but say you have done, um, I mean, let, let me give you a typical example. Now, there's a disposable glove shortage globally, um, nationwide. So you may come to hospital, and let's say your nurse or your doctor decides that, oh, we don't have enough gloves, so instead of wearing two, let me wear one to do this procedure. If in the process of that, the medical personnel themselves gets injured, who, who do you, <laughs> I don't use the word <laughs> sue, but who do you put the liability on? Because you made the choice. It's like you've come to the hospital, and I say, you know what? I'm supposed to inject this area before I switch I or I sew it for you. But I don't have the suture here. I don't have the, the lidocaine to make the place numb here. But it's just two stitches. So I can do it for you. If in the process of doing that, I am determined to have harmed you, can you take me on? To have harmed the patient? Yes. So, um... If I want to understand, I mean, clearly what you are saying, are you trying to find out if um, the lack of the gloves or yes, whatever like when, when are, would be a justification yes, like when for the are, injury caused the patient? Yes, when there are inadequate resources and mm -hmm. you, we call it apotech, <laughs> you, 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 you find a way to help the patient, but in the end, there's, there's harm caused. So, you see, the issue of placing liability, like I said earlier, lies in the bottom of the judge and the court. Mm. So, for example, in an instance like this, if the matter should end up in court, the hospital will come up with a defense. The practitioner that also undertook whatever procedure would obviously also come to defend his stance with respect to why he or she did what I mean, they did. Mm -hmm. Just to say that if they had not done that, it probably would have led to A, B, C, D, E. Then we begin to weigh or evaluate the assertions that have been made by both parties. Now, the most important thing is the fact that is it the normal thing that has to be done? Why don't you have what you have or what, what you need to work with? Most people, you see, sometimes can even sue the facility for their inability to provide because, you see, when consideration passes, mm -hmm. and that is, what, for example, when I visit the health facility and they give me a bill to pay, my mm -hmm. expectation is that you give me what is due me. Mm -hmm. So if you don't give me what is due me with respect to providing basic quality health care at that level, mm -hmm. then the patient has the right 
to sue the hospital. Making a claim is one thing. I mean, making issuing a rate is one thing, but the relief you are seeking for mm-hmm. will be dependent on what you as a patient thinks, I mean, you ought to have I mean, been given which you're not given. So it's, it's situational dependent. I mean, okay. the fact of the case will determine the approach to, I mean, making a claim in court or whatever mm-hmm. the other patient wants to, I mean, have with respect to if there's been an injury and the people want to, I mean, make a claim for compensation or not. Mm-hmm. It is situational dependent. You can't okay. just look at it and say, oh, I just want to go to court. You need to analyze the facts and the sequence of events to determine whether there's a need to even proceed on a matter like that. Mm-hmm. The most important thing is that as human as we are, errors are obviously bound to happen. True. But if it transcends that level of just a minor error into an injury... But who determines which error is minor? Oh, so for example, um, there's a nurse holding a syringe. Mm-hmm. I mean, an attempt to give an injection to mm-hmm. a patient. And as he or she walks by the patient, it pricks the patient. Mm-hmm. Everybody would know for a fact that even though there's been a needle prick, it wasn't intentional. Okay, so it's not everything that as long as you take to courts... No, 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 no. It's not like you just wake up in the morning and say, no, no, no. The court will always look at the facts of the matter. Okay. And that is why we always say that medical malpractice, the test for medical malpractice is an objective one. What it means is that Mm -hmm. you need to get somebody with a similar skill. So when you go to court, for example, that uh, there's a matter in court and then the judge wants to find out what the normal thing to be done is. Mm-hmm. They call, that's what we call the expert opinion or expert testimony. So they will bring in somebody who has a similar skill to come and narrate to the court how that procedure is done. Okay. So if the person tells the court that um, by our training as doctors, this is how we treat malaria. Mm-hmm. This is the protocol for treating malaria. The court will take, I mean, um, notice of whatever the person, the other person giving the expert testimony would give and then compare to the account that is before it mm. to determine that, no, this practitioner, A, didn't do things right and that has led to an injury. So for that matter, he or she is liable. Okay. So until you have somebody who has a similar skill, you can't get a carpenter coming to testify in court against <laughs> a medical doctor just because he thinks he was there and he saw what was happening. I mean, your account is unscientific, so okay. nobody would rely on what So you need said. someone with a similar skill. That is always the test for medical malpractice. Mm. And that is why doctors write reports and they are held before the court to come and give evidence or <laughs> come and explain all that. So you need somebody with a similar skill, it's an objective one, mm-hmm. to come and tell the court that this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And this is where a lot of people also think that, oh, medical practitioners try to cover each other because mm-hmm. they know mm-hmm. that the next minute it will be their turn and they will need somebody else to also cover their back. So they will go to the court. <laughs> And say it and, no, for say their it colleague. In a way, the judge might not even understand because the judge is not a doctor. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? True. So that is when it becomes important mm-hmm. for the patient, if you go to the facility in a conscious state, mm-hmm. to be observant, to ask questions. And that is where the tenets of the health charter, the patient charter, comes, comes to play. Yeah. For the patient to know their rights and responsibilities because healthcare is a shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. So you don't go and throw yourself at the doctor thinking that once you have come, everything should be... On the, no, no, no. You have a role to play as a patient. And most of the times, if the patient does not do what they have been asked to do by the practitioners mm-hmm. and anything onto what happens, mm-hmm. it gives room for the practitioner to be exonerated because at that point in time, 
you did not comply with the treatment plan that has been given you, you did not go according to the management plan that has been given you. If anything happens in terms of your drug administration, in terms of reporting back adverse effects of procedures that you encounter, mm -hmm. your choice of, I mean, a whole lot of stuff. So if you don't go according to what you have been directed to do and you have issues, you have complications, then the practitioner can mount a good defense to claim that he or she did what was right. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing, once again, is for the practitioners to have some bit of time mm -hmm. in trying to let the people understand or the patients understand holistically what their role in the treatment plan is. Because if you don't let them understand, there have been a lot of instances where the patient will come, oh, but you did not even document it. And it's one problem we are facing now. People mm -hmm. will come and make claims, you go back to investigate, you realize that the doctor might have said it, but it's undocumented. Where is your proof? Your only proof in court as a physician or as a practitioner is your documentation. So mm -hmm. if you come to court and the court orders the facility to bring in, so now once again, there's a public perception that doctors alter or facilities alter <laughs> content of folders <laughs> and all that. Okay. Because when the patients go to ask questions about what, I mean, they are going through, they say, young few. Mm. So the young few, they are then they mean, they feel like, oh, well, then they think they have done something wrong mm -hmm. for which reason really they want to alter the content the, of my the records. Okay. And truly, we as an organization have had instances where um, some patients had folders mm -hmm. on their own. They took it and made photocopies thinking that something had gone bad. We went back to the facilities to investigate, to talk to them. They brought in the folder, certain contents were off. So we had to produce our own. And say, look, <laughs> this is what you have. And truly, as the patient is claiming, you have altered the document. And you can't come, because you see, for example, you can't come and say it's not your handwriting. Because, I mean, it follows. Mm -hmm. So you can't say it's not yours. <laughs> so the whole lot is happening, but I mean, that's, that is for another day. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll come to um, informed consent and the sure. issues surrounding informed consent, as well as why um, cases of this nature delay so much. Um, I want us to take a quick um, commercial from Marie Stopes Ghana and their sponsors for the Orange Health Lounge. Aren't women just amazing? A force of strength, resilience, energy. We manage to juggle work, studies, families, and achieve great things as we go. But throughout womanhood, our bodies can change. We get unexpected new aches, smells, and moods. And that can be confusing. It's hard to know what's normal and when to seek help. At Marie Stopes Clinic, we are experts in women's health and will be by your side for every stage, from menstruation to menopause and every step in between. Marie Stopes Clinic is with you for every stage of woman. Book an appointment at one of our clinics today. Call 0800-20-8585. That's 0800-20-8585. Alright, welcome back to 107.9 FM, Orange FM, and this is the Orange Health Lounge. My name is Dr. Kwesi Jima, and today we're talking medical negligence and medical malpractice with my guest, um, Kwame Bobe Apia, who is the Executive Secretary of Advocacy, Advocacy for Medical Malpractice Victims here in Ghana. And it's a unique NGO that um, serves to protect the interest of both patients and doctors or medical personnel, I might add. Um, Kwame, just before the break, we, 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 I was asking you, um, first of all, um, when it comes to informed consent, like you were saying, um, there are several instances where you want to 
explain. And sometimes we do. You explain, explain, explain everything that is quote-unquote wrong with the patient to the patient. But our system is designed such that it's not everything that you can document, even though you are supposed to. But sometimes when you look at the sheer work that's around you, you, you realize that you can explain maybe just a bit, not in, in, in full. What, what do you consider informed consent, like full <laughs> consent? <laughs> so um, with respect to, I mean, the, the keeping of records or documentation, mm -hmm. I think it's about time we also engage health practitioners in, I mean, discussions concerning medical negligence for them to know the areas around which they can be taken on. Okay. Because True. if you get to know which areas fall within the remit of, I mean, a malpractice, a potential malpractice case, you be quite careful to document. I understand you can't write everything, but you asked about um, informed consent. Basically, informed consent is a process of communication between the health practitioner and the patient. Mm -hmm. That often leads to agreement or permissions for care, treatment, or service. So, one, in the past, we would just be rushing a patient to the theater, mm -hmm. and they would say, oh, sometimes, even when the patient is on a stretcher being moved to the, 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 the theater, then you hear the nurse or whoever asking, oh, was there any consent form? No. <laughs> then you see somebody else running with their paper. Mami, Tim, Tim, Mami, Tim, 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 it happens every day. I mean, for example, I mean, in people in labor and all that. Mm -hmm. Those days are past. They are gone. Mm. Now we, we are in the era of informed consent where you need to communicate, I mean, vividly mm -hmm. with the patient to let the patient understand the repercussions of the processes you are going to do. Say, mommy, I do a year, I won't sorry, Bill. Young Kosunayana, or Simu Diana, I mean, so we have moved from that era where you just ask people f to sign consent forms without they understanding what it means or whatever. It is about time, especially, I mean, it wouldn't take so much of a practitioner's time just for purposes of avoiding a potential, I mean, legal suit mm -hmm. to let the patient understand whatever processes they are going to do on the patient for the mm -hmm. patient to agree to mm -hmm. whatever treatment or service that you want to give out to them. Because okay. the patient have the right to the information, and then they also ask questions before the procedures and treatments are given out to them. If mm -hmm. you spell out all the implications of the procedure you want to do, mm -hmm. and they still feel that, look, after all that you have said, I want to do it, and for that matter, they will sign and give you the permission to touch their body and work on them. Mm -hmm. That is good enough. But it is assumed that, I mean, it's a normal thing, until mm -hmm. something happens. Mm -hmm. Because if something happens, and you bring the patient before a court of competent jurisdiction, and under cross-examination, the patient says that, look, they didn't ask me any question concerning this. I didn't know. If I knew this would have been the outcome, I wouldn't have done it. But Kwame, we cannot tell you, like, for instance, um, I, I, I always tell people that in, in advanced countries, mm -hmm. even admitting patients, mm -hmm and discharging patients, there are forms that you sign, there are forms that you would fill to sort of consent to your admission. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes, 
for want of a better word, it delays care. Because here we are, um, a patient needs maybe an urgent procedure or needs something done for them in the hospital or in the clinic. The doctor, nurse, midwife says that you need this um, now. Let me give you a typical example that uh, um, uh, like a midwife friend of mine has sent. Uh, good morning to you, Dr. Tony Chung. Um, nice to know you. Listen, I'm going to ask you a question soon. She says that one of the most painful injections on our labor ward is magnesium sulfate, which prevents fits or seizures in pregnant women with high blood pressure. Now, the pregnant woman will take this injection for about six times within 24 hours, and she says that it's painful. Should patients be given informed consent forms to sign before you start that process, which, mind you, is a life-saving procedure or is a life-saving injection? Or do you just inform the patient that I'm going to give you this injection, it's painful, but it will control your blood pressure, it will stop you from having a seizure, and just go ahead? So the bit of pain that comes with the administration of that injection should not be so much of an issue. I mean, for the fact Orange, that you tell the patient that this is the nature of the injection I'm going to give you. But the informed consent concept mm -hmm. is, for example, what would have been... Uh, the consequence of injecting the patient with that particular medication. Mm. Can there be the case that after that the patient can suffer from A, B, C, D, E? Those are the things that you need to, I mean, voice out mm -hmm. for the patient to know that we are giving you this injection, but maybe after this injection you are going to feel weak. You can't do this. You can't do that. So what the patient has already agreed, okay. In any case, the patient always have a right of choice. You can't force anything down the throat of the patient if mm. she is not in agreement. Mm -hmm. So that is if the patient is conscious, I mean, yeah. to have the right senses to determine what he or she wants. I mean, mm -hmm. if I come to the hospital and say I want to give me an injection and I feel I don't want to take that injection at that moment, what is the job of the physician? Simply to write that patient refused to take injection in your book and you go away. Because you can't, I mean, you can't pin me down and give me that injection mm -hmm. if I don't want to take it. Especially maybe even at the time that you want to give me that injection. I said, okay, mm -hmm. I'll take the injection, but not now. Hey. So, oh, no, I'm just, we are just trying to, <laughs> we are just trying to, I mean, yes, no, I, I understand you. Situation yeah. Because patients can be extremely very difficult people to work with. Yes, I mean, um, sometimes it is, I mean, and I speak for all of my colleagues and the people that we work with, sometimes it is unbearable. I know. Because you, you, you explain, um, just, just this week, it, it happened to me. Um, a doctor's relative, and before I discharged her, myself and the nurses on the ward, we explained in full the implications of her not taking her medication, her not doing all the right things that we wanted her to do with regards to her care. Patient picks up the phone, calls the relative, and says, Oman can't tell me if you, me. So, for example, if the patient suffers any adverse effects after that treatment that was mm -hmm. given to the patient and then decides to say go to court to make a claim mm -hmm. and say that look i went to this hospital in fact you can't make a claim when you don't have anything to show for mm -hmm. obviously and before you make a claim the judges don't just sit and write they will ask for independent opinion from other practitioners don't the judges get emotional Kwame? because if, if the law is the law look, no, the law is the law i mean it's not I'm about emotion here. I don't know about you, but I'm yet to hear 
a case of medical negligence or medical malpractice, which has gone in favor of the practitioner. Oh, it does. It happens every But day. we don't hear. But me, me, I it, is because, it is because until recently, medical malpractice was not on our radar. Because it looks like every medical malpractice case that you see is against the hospital or the doctor. No, it's because the patients are more than the doctors and the facilities. So, I mean, they have a voice to voice. How many doctors will go and sit on radio and talk about the fact that, I mean, they've been exonerated from a medical malpractice case? But sometimes we should, shouldn't we? You have to, because now, I or, mean... Or shouldn't the court compel... Let's say you bring a case against me, it goes to court. Um, the court determines that the case you brought that doesn't have any merit. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't they compel you that the same mediums that you use to make noise and say that, or no, for instance, to air your grievances that you are not treated, or if you use the same medium to say that the, the case went to court and you lost and the doctor or the clinician or the hostel has been exonerated? So there are two things involved. One, the court is always a place of public records. I mean, anybody can walk in there and find out whatever they want to find out, mm. on condition that you can use the right procedures. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why they see that when there's a matter pending before a court, nobody talks about it on air, mm -hmm. or nobody discusses it, so it doesn't become prejudicial. Mm -hmm. um, what happens is that after, for example, let me just be practical here, our organization has settled the case with a big hospital in Ghana here, mm -hmm. where as part of the terms of settlement, the facility said that after this settlement, don't publicize this, because okay. they feel that it will be a dent on their image if people should even hear that... Okay. Um, oh, so really, this thing happened here, yeah. then this is yours. It's the same way that the doctor wouldn't want to even come out to be associated with something of that nature, let alone to justify the fact that he or she has been exonerated. Mm. But in the wisdom of the court, if somebody brings a case and they find it to be unmeritorious, most of the times, they award costs in favor of I mean, the, the defendant. So then, some people go to the court to make claims and say that this person has done A, B, C, D, E. The court investigates it, they find out that the, the, the claim is, I mean, it's unmeritorious, it's backed by malice. All that you do is to award costs, and then they compensate the person that has been brought to court. But I don't think a practitioner would want to, I mean, I mean, uh, get involved in some of these matters just for people to think that, oh, anyway, I am but sometimes you... No, I mean, I'm talking about the perception. Yes, I get it. Most people don't understand how health systems work. Most mm -hmm. people don't understand anything about medical negligence or medical malpractice, mm -hmm. let alone to understand how the court interprets some of these things. So if you are not careful, mm -hmm. even though you are coming out there to clear your name, it might send another signal to people who don't understand what no, is happening. No, Kwame, what I was saying was that, like, I remember when the, the, the issue involving 37 came out uh, with a retired um, um, military man and his wife. I mean, that particular week, we had a patient in our hospital who, under near similar circumstances, and you know, my, my, one of my doctors called me and said, the, the patient just said that if you don't take his wife to court, he will sue you. If you don't, who doesn't do what? If the doctors don't take his wife to the theater, he, he will sue them. You see, it, it becomes like, a, a, like an adversarial tool that now with the least confrontation in the hospital, the options that patients use that, I will sue you. So what? then people start practicing <laughs> the defensive <laughs> medicine. <laughs> but the point is, merely saying you sue somebody is, is a rhetoric. I mean, everybody can say they can sue somebody or they want to sue somebody. I mean, the court is open for anybody to enter at any point in time. Mm -hmm. What are you going to sue on? Mm -hmm. What are the facts? 
How do you incriminate somebody? How do you say that somebody has been negligent? Do you have evidence to prove what is the weight of your evidence? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I don't think practitioners should be afraid just because somebody utters the word they will sue you. Okay, not all of us have a you, uh, lawyer, so. Oh, no, no. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> Doc, it's not a matter of having lawyers. It's a matter of ensuring that you are doing the right thing. No, I mean, I, I, I'll even come there that should, should we now get lawyers? Because, like, you know, with the way things are going... <laughs> oh, but you see, I am surprised. I mean, people are now awakening to this concept of medical negligence. It has always been there. It is just because they were normally unreported. This 37 case became popular because somebody took a PDF version of the whole judgment and then they threw it yes. online. So yes. everybody got access to read. But if you go to the offices of lawyers, they have their monthly law reports and all that, which brings up cases of such nature. So you can then, there's a lot to talk about. There have been decided cases way, way, way back in the past. And so it's just because there's a bit of, I mean, talk about medical negligence lately because some group of journalists have been interested in finding out what goes on in the court so far as medical negligence is concerned. Mm-hmm. And people are, I mean, getting enlightened with respect to what their rights and responsibilities are. But it, it goes equally for the practitioners also. I mean, so you can have a very recalcitrant patient who comes mm-hmm. to cause trouble in your facility. What prevents the facility from taking the patient on? I mean, it's a vice versa. Anybody can go to court on anything mm-hmm. on condition that you have merit. Mm-hmm. So I am waiting to see when a health facility would also sue a patient. You see, sometimes we, we, one, we are swamped with work. Two, we don't have the, I don't want to say knowledge, but you can have a patient. And um, um, very soon I'll be talking to um, Mr. Enusa Rashid uh, Seydu. He's the regional director for HEFRA. And um, I'll be calling him soon. Um, sometimes the facility doesn't seem interested. Because you can have a patient or who walk to your hospital, you will see the person. Now, and I'm speaking for the private practitioners now. You would do all your best for the patient, but sometimes within the scheme of things, you'd have to probably move the patient along, maybe refer the patient to uh, another hospital or something. The patient will think that you did not do enough. And sometimes you may get... Um, another practitioner saying that, oh, why did you even go to a private hospital in the first place? They may have killed you. You get it. Then um, it becomes chatter. I know, and uh, you know, they didn't treat me well. But the hospitals, we are not interested in seeing the patients because we are trained to be this, um, you know, <laughs> but look, all, the, all, the, the point all is, compassionate center. The point is, you see, so let's separate practice from administration, okay? Okay. The health facilities have management boards. So they have, I mean, people at the health of affairs. But we don't have lawyers. Oh, who says so? No, like, well. As in individual well, we, lawyers? Yes, like we have that. But you, you know people don't go for lawyers until they have cases. I mean, what would, you, what would be the need for a well, person to retain a lawyer well, when you, maybe don't, it when you be, are not in something that would necessitate If, if, if let's say we are a government but, hospital, mm-hmm. so we, we would have the attorney general department. Exactly. But if I'm a private hospital, mm-hmm. so I'm a private um, maternity home, mm-hmm. private clinic, mm-hmm. should I not have a lawyer on a retainer? 
that is the decision of the owner of the facility. But I mean, even if the lawyer is not on a retainer basis, mm -hmm. as and when cases come up and you need somebody to be on, stand on your behalf, obviously you can walk into any law firm, mm -hmm. get to speak to somebody and get the same. Because what is, I mean, the service of a lawyer? But do, do, do a lot of the lawyers understand this clinical and medical field uh, well enough? Ah, because you know, you know, you know this. Well, you, like, so, that so that's why I alluded to the fact that medical malpractice is a complicated, I mean, area. Mm. Because one, you should be able to prove the particulars of negligence. Mm -hmm. How do you, what's your claim? Why, mm -hmm. How were they negligent? Mm -hmm. So that is a combination of law and medicine. That's why we call it medical legal. So you, the lawyer, you only know your law. Mm -hmm. But how do you find out about, I mean, the breach of, procedure and all that so you need to do painstaking investigations you need to do a lot of consultation to consult people who are authorities in the area that you want to work in and all that mm -hmm. but i think all these discussions we are having now is aimed at improving the system calling for policy reforms and all that i mean i am yet to see in ghana where patients perspectives are included in 107.9 all that we do is that you'll be there and then Ghana Health Service will come and tell you we did A, B, C, D. This oh, one but we have the patient's charter. Oh, the, the charter was designed by the Ghana Health Service. So have yes. you ever read where the, the patient made the input? If it is, <laughs> then nobody has come to tell us anything. I don't but know if I understand what I'm coming yes, from. I get it, but we have a lot of, but I mean, I, 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 I know every government hospital, at least this one, I know every government hospital does it. Um, when you go to the OPD, one, you had the patient charter pasted there. When they are... <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> Kwame looks surprised. It is there. It is there. At least the ones I've gone to is there. Maybe you've just been to a few. Oh. <laughs> no, it is supposed to be there. You can let your listeners then, call in and tell us how many facilities they have visited and seen that the health patient And then pasted um, there. in the mornings, when the nurses or the OPD staff are giving the brief, they are supposed to explain to you the patient's rights and responsibilities it is part it is part of what we call the opd talk because in as much as we are there to safeguard lives and make people better we also need the patients to understand their rights and their responsibilities let me just chip in this before you continue uh -huh. would you believe that there have been instances where like you're saying in the morning meetings they get people to come and explain whatever, I mean, rights and responsibilities of patient. But the person, him or herself, saying the thing doesn't even understand what you're saying. <laughs> so, what is the point? I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but I think a lot more has to be done so far as, I mean, these conversations are concerned. Mm -hmm. And, um, like they say always, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Mm -hmm. It is the duty of patients mm -hmm. to also dig for information concerning their healthcare provision and how they can get the best. I won't just sit because we are patient advocates and blame everything on the health institution. Mm -hmm. Patients also have a responsibility. In fact, their responsibility is also greater because you need to understand a lot of things. You just don't walk and throw yourself at the facility and say, say but I think, unfortunately for us, because we have a majority of, I mean, I mean, uneducated population in that space, it's difficult for them to comprehend. And the patient charter is not known to many. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a practitioner has not even read or seen the charter before mm -hmm. because there have been instances where we've had media engagements and then you realize the person behind the console asking you questions you answer them and they don't even know about the patient charter so what it means is that it is hidden 
What people say is that the facilities think that if they exhibit these documents, it's going to empower the patients to take them on because it will enlighten them to know <laughs> what they are entitled to have and all that. I mean, that's on the lighter side. But I think it's important because, you see, we are doing this together. And I don't always want it to sound antagonistic, like somebody has set up only to, I mean, antagonize people and what they do. It mm -hmm. is to call for reforms because the practitioner in charge of the patient can also be a patient the next day. Mm -hmm. And if you don't cure the wrongs now, another person would, I mean, perpetrate such actions without you know, even knowing that the, the patient is a doctor or is a nurse or whatever. By the time you are through, the person would be gone. So I think it's important we look at this holistically and determine ways of calling for reforms. Okay. So let me let me read some of the messages. Um, good morning, um, uh, Dr. <laughs> um He's the medical superintendent of the Obuasi Government Hospital. Good morning to you. Um, good morning to you, Dr. Tony Chum. I'm going to read Tony Chum's message now. He says that what happens when government reneges on resourcing facilities leading to inadequate resources to work with? Is the facility to bear the liability? So, typical example, we're in this COVID era, government's supposed to provide some PPEs, government doesn't provide the PPEs, um, someone comes in suspected COVID, facility staff say, we don't have PPEs to take care of you, person unfortunately dies. Who bears the liability? Because it's, this is something that's supposed to come from government. So who... who <laughs> so, so, so then it's, it's a pure case of systemic failure or systemic breakdown. At that level, you see, so for, for example, if it's a Ghana health service that was supposed to provide these things, you tackle them. So that's why I said that it is circumstantial. As and when the issues come up, you interrogate them to see who ought to have done something that they did not do. And then you tackle it from that angle. So at that point in time, for example, if the facility is also getting these materials from a certain source, mm -hmm. and that, that source has, I mean, Renege on this duty to give whatever they need. You tackle it from that angle. So it is the lawyer's decision or the lawyer's, I mean, advice to know which appropriate quarters to direct their action. Mm. Uh -huh. And it is because of the fact that all these institutions are backed by acts of parliament that have set them up. And in those acts, you will know the responsibilities of each and every institution or facility to be able to determine who had the ultimate responsibility to ensure that things were done right, and then you tackle it from that angle. All right. Um, this is 107.9 Orange FM. Um, this is the Orange Health Lounge. My name is Dr. Chima, and I'm here with my good friend Kwame from um, AMMV, um, and they are an NGO that, um, you know, does everything to help um, patients when it comes to um, malpractice. Um, in um, this uh, clinical world. Um, so many, many comments on Facebook. I'm going to do my best to read all the comments that are coming in. Um, just a quick reminder that our show is proudly sponsored by Marie Stopes International. You know, Marie Stopes International is where you go for everything, um, family planning and everything, um, reproductive health planning. Um, all right, so... Um, Dr. Nyaku Jekte wants to know, can a practitioner sue on behalf of a client? Likewise, can a practitioner, a practitioner sue on behalf of a defamed colleague or hospital? Um, a defamed colleague as in another so, practitioner? Yes, maybe another doctor has been taken to 
courts and you know um, he's exonerated. Can I sue on his behalf? Or if I'm a doctor mm -hmm. and I work in a particular facility and I feel like um, because of resource constraints, we were not able to give our best of care mm -hmm. to, the, to the patient. Can I sue on the patient's behalf? Can I sue the hospital that I work in on the patient's behalf? So, so for example, organization takes legal action on behalf of patients mm -hmm. because they might not know where to turn to. Everybody is a civil matter. So anybody of interest can pick up a matter and then, I mean, argue. Uncon but with the express consent of whoever, because if I'm the victim and I don't want to pursue the matter once it's civil, I mean, you, you wouldn't say that you just want to go and sue on my behalf, even though I'm not interested. So it's always with the concurrence of whoever the victim or the alleged victim is. So the victim has to be interested. Obviously. But, but um, Kwame, I've gone to, um, sorry to cut, I've gone to um, Accra, and I've, I'm not going to mention the hospital, but around the hospital, you see these um, legal aides and guys virtually <laughs> hunting for patients, like they'll be talking to patients. Oh, um, it's, it's, it's becoming popular now. I said, so if you have a case and you want to, you know, why are they coming to you? Because they don't know you as a patient, you know what your rights are. No, maybe the patient doesn't have any interest in, like... So if there's no interest, it means there's no case to pursue. I mean, if you think you no, have like, a new case... there may be a case to pursue, but uh -huh. the patient is not interested in it. So then who is coming to testify? Mm. If I say that you have been injured, mm -hmm. we want to assess the degree of injury, mm -hmm. and you are not willing to come to court, I mean, move along with me. Mm -hmm. I can't just go to the court issue a rate and when the victim involved is asked to carry say member who is going to be cross-examined i mean how do you how do you prove your case because in court the name of the game is evidence you need to be able to allude evidence to whatever you are claiming mm -hmm. so if the patient who has to come and show the judge the injury that he or she has suffered who has to present medical reports from independent assessors to i mean um i mean give an account of whatever who says i won't come i mean what is the basis then you have no claim because then if it's a criminal matter, that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. But medical malpractice, medical negligence, they are all embedded in civil law. So I don't think if the person is not interested, whether you like it or not, I'll sue on your behalf. <laughs> then if you sue, you go and give evidence. And you can't do it. <laughs> good morning, good morning to my very good friend and boss, Dr. Kojua Pia Kubi, who works at the Greater Accra Regional Hospital. He says that the balance between taking the necessary time to go through the informed consent process while sitting in a clinic with 60 patients plus versus like having, while there are just one or two doctors, versus trying to ensure timely quality care for all of those sitting in the clinic can be very difficult. And he wants to know your thoughts on I that. I agree with him, mm -hmm. clearly. So this is the issue. We have identified a problem here. Mm -hmm. He's saying that it is time yours. I mean, it's time consuming because you can't take that much time trying to explain. Very difficult. What about the training people who would also understand what the procedures are to on a separate account or even before the patients move in? I know of facilities where mm -hmm. they have trained, I mean, counselors mm -hmm. in this area mm -hmm. where the counselors because of the training and the continuous professional uh, development that the training they do for them, they mm -hmm. understand whatever. I mean, it is, and it's not like you are just saying something from your head. It's standardized. It's a mm -hmm. procedure. It mm -hmm. is written. I don't think it should just be solely the duty of the doctor who is already overwhelmed with a whole lot of patients to explain these kind of things. So when, when you are able to identify problems of this nature, then mm -hmm. it behoves on, I mean, that's why I said that um, practitioners need to have a common voice. 
mm. so they can speak against some of these things. I mean, mm. it is true. What he's saying is clearly the truth. But does it mean that because of that fact, we should just go on in that, I mean, I mean speedy manner and say that, look, I have a lot of patients waiting, I mean, behind my door. I can't take like 10 minutes trying to explain all these things to one patient mm -hmm. whilst the others wait. And if I'm able to do that, it means the quality of care would be minimized. I can't give out my best in that. It is true. Mm. But the court will not consider your constraints. Mm. Yes. The hey, court, but the court should know the that. The court will look at the circumstances to let you understand that. Hey, come here. No, the point is the when you go to so, confinement room eight, look, I'm there are like two hundred people sitting there. I'm coming. I'm building a point. <laughs> so, so your 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 systemic failure is not a problem for the court. Mm. The court's interest is that you ought to have treated the patient with a certain degree of care, mm -hmm. and you fail to do that, and that has resulted in a form of injury or death of the patient. Mm -hmm. Why you fail to do that? You can't come and tell the court that I had so many patients and for that matter, mm -hmm. I have to rush through the procedure to ensure that. So what it becomes of the situation is that then if you think it's about 20 patients or 30 patients you can take care of very well and professionally, you do it well. But we don't determine that. In, 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 and, and I speak for all of us who work mm -hmm. in um, pu public practice. Mm. You, don't, you don't have a hand in the number of patients who are sitting at the OPD in the morning. You don't have a hand in the number of patients who are on your ward when you get to the hospital. You can go to the hospital on a Monday morning and there are over 500 people waiting to see you. And you know that you must also close your clinic, let's say, by 2 o'clock. So you start at, let's say, 7 and you have to close by 2. Mm -hmm. It is not humanly possible to ensure that you are given the full range of information to everybody. So like you're saying, unless we find a go-between and find maybe patient counselors or um, uh, train... That, 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 that is one. The other side of it is, look, the management of the hospital, okay, mm -hmm. what is their interest? They want to ensure, I mean, there's good clinical care. They are in to also make profit to run the facility because the more people come in, the more they pay for records, the more they pay for drugs, the more they pay for whatever. So what I'm trying to say in the essence is the fact that... In. Exactly. And then the person at the helm of affairs will be healed. Hey, why are they pile by IGF cost rule? What is the, what is the, I mean, the happiness in raising revenue when people are dying needlessly, when people are getting injured, as a result of the constraints on the practitioner? Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to put across is the fact that if the practitioners are able to come together... Mm -hmm. to voice out identifiable problems and give the, the management of the facilities ultimatums and say, if you don't regulate this, you are not coming. They have the right to. Mm. If you don't, re why not? You are working under conditions that are unfavorable to you. And as a result of, I mean, the unfavorable nature, you are bound to find yourself in court for things that could have been avoided. Mm. Why can't you defend your stance and say that, look, if you don't ensure that we do things A, B, C, D, these ways, then we are also going to say, you see, I feel that the management and, I mean, the head of institutions, especially in public facilities, mm -hmm. they behave the way they do because the very people they work with have been too gentle. If you oh, come together as practitioners and you want to let the facility, I mean, don't you think they will shake when all doctors come together and tell them, look, we are giving you two weeks. Mm -hmm. If you don't find a way to solve these problems you are facing, we'll, put, we'll stop working. If it is the government that is not functioning properly, mm -hmm. you run to them and tell them, look, this is what is coming up. Mm -hmm. But if it has to be the case that you only have to fight when they are looking, so the people say, oh, 
I want to see you go for strikes on conditions like this. Okay. I understand you perfectly well. Mm -hmm. What he said is the truth. Mm -hmm. The conditions in our health facilities are unbearable. Yeah, they make their so it makes discharging duties very, very difficult. And when there's difficulty, you are bound to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. The court does not care about your difficulty. It's the interest is that of the patient and what has happened to the patient because it is the patient that has come to court with a claim and saying that, mm -hmm. look, I went to this hospital. They charged me X amount for a certain procedure. Mm -hmm. The facility did not have the equipment to do it. Their theater was non-functioning. Uh, they didn't have oxygen. They didn't do this, blah, blah, blah. So apart from looking at negligence or malpractice, the court will also be interested in looking at the contractual bits of whatever arrangement you have with the patient. So me, I feel that if the practitioners are able to come together and let their management or whoever is in charge of or at the helm of affairs know that, look, we know you know we are suffering, but this time around, if you don't do anything about it, we are going to do A, B, C, D. Believe you me, they'll sit up and work. So that's what I feel. Hmm. 107.9 FM, <laughs> Orange FM, and this is the Orange Health Lounge. We're 20 minutes past 9 o'clock, and I just feel like I must open the phone lines for um, comments. Um, Yasa Puma says that uh, <laughs> she likes the fact that I've been on She says that she hasn't seen um, any of this patient chatter in um, any hospitals, whether it is uh, public or private. Hey, yeah, when you go open your eyes more, too, it's there. It's there. Oh, it's there. It's there. I mean, <laughs> what we do, we visit hospitals every day. I mean, we go there, there every day. So I'm telling you the truth. Mm. It's not there. Oh. Sometimes, if you are lucky, you can visit to be in some obscure place. I mean, now you will not even pay attention. Let me mm. give an example of Kofanochi. When you are climbing the stairs, haven't you seen they have pasted their core values and those other things there? Uh -huh. Have you seen following that there's a patient chat? Oh, but why don't they put it on the stairs for every patient entering that place? I mean, to see. But it's not. It's not. I, I'm not holding brief. No, no. I'm telling you, it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> so but I just believe for for for, for Ghana Health Service friends, I, I can uh -huh. speak for us. That uh -huh. at least in Ashanti region, you we do the peer review exercise, um, where some of these things are like you're supposed to have it there, like you're supposed to, and um, we do what we call client satisfaction surveys in hospitals, and there are questions that are. Um, teased out based on um, that the patient chatter. I hope that my colleagues and the other doctors who are listening will do it. Because in as much as sometimes we feel like there isn't enough room to give information, I think when you give information and you give it fully and um, professionally, the patient is less likely, less likely to take you on. Less well, likely. Well, you're right. Sometimes I have, I have had situations where people have come to our organization with cases mm -hmm. and then after their narratives they come back to tell you look the doctor was very good with them we didn't say why share that because our church may be yeah there have been instances where the people clearly are negligent in what they do they mm -hmm. cause harm and they will still even defend and then say all sorts of things to the patient i mean so you see everything we are talking about here is about communication mm. people can make errors because mm -hmm. you are human Mm -hmm. Some of them are irreparable. I mean, some harms, you can't do anything about them. But there are some of them you can take back and work on. Mm -hmm. There are others you can correct to some extent to, I mean, uh, ameliorate the effect and all that. Mm -hmm. But I think that it is about time owners of health facilities and health practitioners should be able to, I mean, disintegrate functions. Mm -hmm. Because it's one of the things that brings a lot of burden on these practitioners. Mm -hmm. And then 
Um, so for example, practitioners who are also in administrative positions and all that, mm-hmm. you call them for a meeting. Somebody is there. Oh, look, what money, money? Who they have to run because we're meeting, we're meeting. And then they tell me, "What do you think will happen?" <laughs> you no, injure the patient. No, but Kwame, it is um, okay. I'm in that position. You understand? And sometimes, for me, sometimes I balance it because so for me, when I get to the hospital, the first five hours, I'm doing clinical work solely i put my stuff so this, down so that is and some I sort of self-discipline you have given to yourself no because like you're saying you can't do both efficiently if you don't prioritize because you could be in a, in a management meeting you could be in an advisory board meeting and then you'll be called that is an emergency and you have to excuse yourself and go and do it the system is not designed to be flexible. The system is quite rigid. So if you do not discipline yourself, you would end up, you know, like you can have very experienced nurses, lab personnel, and all the rest, also playing dual roles of unit headship, um, departmental leaders, and they have to juggle that with supervision of less um, skilled staff. And sometimes some of those things can lead to errors. And like you rightly said, Sometimes we are very nice to the patients, and because of that, they will decide not to carry on. But I feel that sometimes being nice is not enough. Well, I also feel that in as much as the, 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 the practitioner would want to be nice with the patient, you should also bear in mind the fact that um, if any problem comes up, your niceness will not solve the problem for you. So, as you are trying to be nice, be minded by the tenets of what you are doing. Look at a bit of, I mean, the legalities surrounding what you are doing. I mean, the doctor wouldn't know so much about law, but then they would be interested in following protocols. If you follow them, sometimes people come to court, they are exonerated because they did the right thing. So, in law, they have something they call, you take your victim as you find him. That is also there. So, yeah, I mean, there's an interesting case that one, one of our very senior colleagues told recently that um, someone came to the hospital. Um, I think he was doing something and severed his thumb. And he went to the hospital and, you know, with virtually holding his thumb. And the doctor said, oh, so I saw the doctor held it. It, it, it was already falling off. I saw he, he held it. It fell off. The patient sued the doctor and got, um, um, uh, he won the case against the doctor. There's somebody who is saying that, let me have a look at what you have brought. Then your thumb falls off. He, he, didn't, he hasn't done anything. Mm-hmm. It's already falling off. No, he helped the thumb to come off. He said he hasn't done anything. Oh, that's on a lighter note. <laughs> <laughs> No, so <laughs> you see, it's difficult to pass comments on. I mean, cases you are not privy to facts. I don't even get where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. The law is about what you tell the judge and the weight of your claim. Mm-hmm. So, for all you know, the practitioner or the facility mm-hmm. might not have put up a strong defense. Mm-hmm. If you don't put up a strong defense, mm-hmm. if you get mm-hmm. a lawyer mm-hmm. that does, who does not understand all these kind of things you are talking mm-hmm. about, 
they already entered the courtroom confused. They don't know what they are going to talk about because mm -hmm. how do you explain that somebody had a severe um, thumb and then somebody, so did he apply pressure to it to bring it off? What happened? Mm -hmm. So, and then some of the patients who can lie. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Some of them can really lie. They will cook up the story, mm -hmm. put it out there. It is for you to defend it. And that is why I'm saying that. So, for example, I don't know. I'm just conjecturing. What is the protocol? What is the procedure? Mm -hmm. Was the doctor supposed to hold it? What could he or she have done initially? Oh, but you see, it's in our nature, it's in our training that you've brought a bleeding finger to me. Um, I want to examine it. Okay. And just at the point of touching it, it falls off. So then, How is that my fault? So I would then say that because I can't assess the extent of the cut, I don't know how deep the cut was. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the hand, the finger was even covered with blood. Orange, mm -hmm. 107.9. It becomes very difficult to ascertain the depth of the cut. Yeah. If it was just about falling off, you would just help it to come off quickly. So, the question I'm asking is, was that the right way? Was he supposed to hold it? Couldn't he have asked the patient to put it somewhere, like on a table, so that the patient could see that, oh, I didn't make it to one uncle. What level of pressure did the doctor apply enough to pull the thing off? So there are a lot of questions. That's why I'm saying that. Mm -hmm. It is difficult to make comments on some of these things because you don't know what transpired. Mm -hmm. But if the patient who witnessed the event mm -hmm. is able to give a good account mm -hmm. and it's all about the weight of your evidence mm -hmm. if the patient is able to explain clearly to the court sometimes they even put it before a jury mm. and the jury will listen to both sides and make a determination if the patient is a very strong person who some of them are litigants who can come in there and say very who can come in there and say look when i went it wasn't about falling off it was a doctor that used unreasonable force, uh, let me mm -hmm. in quotes, mm -hmm. to pull the thing, just, oh, mommy, share, mommy, share, and he did not hold it with reasonable care. And because mm -hmm. of that effort, because the thing was already off, and like I said, none can better than that. So then the liability falls on you. But if you go like, and most interestingly also, mm -hmm. um, the, the judges might not understand some of these things. Mm -hmm. They also need to go back read around it, ask questions, bring in experts to, for you know, in this matter, they, would, they would probably would have brought in an expert to testify and say that, look, you as a doctor, for example, if the person is a hand surgeon, what would you have done if such a case came before you? Then the person goes to tell the court that, look, I would have asked the patient to put the finger on the table, <laughs> I would apply small pressure, I would do this, I would do that. Ah! No, but that is after the after the facts, like after the event has happened, like but if the event doesn't happen, you there have will not be any need to go to court. No, you have <laughs> so for them as a practitioner, you mm -hmm. have hindsight bias because now somebody is in court because this is something that it, 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 it's like when um, um, uh, that they rush a child to hospital that maybe the, a child has been knocked down by a car mm -hmm. and you see everybody rushing and running the child to hospital. There are protocols that you're supposed to follow, you understand? Um, make sure that, you know, there's airway breathing, circulation, make sure the child adequately exposed, you know, secure all bleeders and all those things. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, you may inadvertently do something that may cause harm. Sometimes even the way they are transporting the victim itself has already killed the person already. Right. Once the person lands in your hands and dies, Ah, so that would be the defense of the, 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 the physician mm -hmm. to say that look the patient was brought in in this condition 
A, B, C, D, E wasn't done. And for that mm -hmm. matter, by the time the patient got, got here, the situation had worsened. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to give a lot of, I mean, um, cases or instances mm -hmm. to get yourself off the hook. If the, because the physician cannot speak, I mean, by himself in the courtroom and mm -hmm. obviously through a lawyer, mm -hmm. if the lawyer is not well informed, if you don't conference properly for the lawyer to understand how it works, I mean, this is what we do as an organization. There are cases where we need to get people or, I mean, consultants in various fields to give us <coughs> massive education. Now, you go, the lawyer doesn't have the time to go to the hospital and be look for the person to, I mean, educate them on the matter. Mm -hmm. So the court date is due. They go to court, the lawyer is not the lawyer doesn't come. No, he's not he will come, but he doesn't know what he's coming to say entirely because <laughs> he might have just, I mean, bits and pieces of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But then this, we are talking about a detailed, I mean, issue here. Mm -hmm. Because once the issue, the, the event has occurred, you don't look at how big or small it is. Mm -hmm. There's a problem. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to defend. Mm. To, I mean, whatever length you can defend it. Mm. If the lawyer does not understand, or if he's not properly coached, mm -hmm. because he is not a, I mean, a clinician, a clinician. Or a, a, mm. a, a, so you wouldn't know until you sit him down to tell him all. I mean, has to do with what the situation is. Yeah. For him to be able to go and defend, they will believe the story of the patient against that of the, of the, of the physician because mm. the physician's lawyer. Orange one hundred seven point nine. What has happened and could not. I mean, defended properly. So it's so. Then what it means is that the lawyer should be able to learn some medical terms to justify what he's saying, mm -hmm. because it's it's a professional discipline. So you can't go and speak in abstract. You yeah. need to speak their language, mm -hmm. because if they have another lawyer on the other side, he is coming based on the investigations he or she might have done, done, giving the I mean requisite information mm -hmm. and getting detailed knowledge about what it is. So then he will put out the case. Detailing, I mean, medical terms and all that, the judge doesn't understand them. <laughs> I don't know if you understand what I mean. I get he it. He doesn't understand them. So when they look at both cases, one, advocacy is a key component of, I mean, battling matters in court. If mm -hmm. your lawyer is good and he can speak and speak well, and how do you speak well? You speak well only when you are seized with the facts. Mm -hmm. Only when you know, I mean, the tenets of what you are talking about. Either than that, you go and speak normal English. <laughs> <laughs> and then they will put you somewhere. They'll put you somewhere. So that's why I'm saying that as the practitioners, I mean, exercising their, their duties and all that, mm -hmm. they should also bear in mind that if anything should happen, what where is the escape route for me? Either than that, you close your eyes and do something, and when you have a problem, you don't have any means of defense. All right. Um, let me, let me, uh, good morning to you. Um, hey, Dr. Joe, dear, how are you? My very, very good friend. And Joel, I hope you are doing well in Kukum. Um, this is from Kingsley Adioye. He says that, good morning, Doc. Your show is really an eye opener. Thank you for always listening, Kingsley. He says he wants to deviate a bit. He wants to ask that um, it's about quacks in the society. Um, a patient versus a quack gets complications reports to a health facility. If, ta if after all efforts um, put in to save the patient, the, the patient dies, can the practitioner sue the quack? No, I don't get it. So um, you go and see a quack a doctor for care, then the person doesn't see you the well. The quack doctor working where? I mean, in a designated facility or some bedroom? Oh, in some... In, you know, okay. Not quite. You have these quasi-healthcare institutions, which are 
um, you know, they are doing some pseudoscience, pseudo-medicine practice there. Someone goes there for treatment of maybe, um, let's say, hypertension. Um, it's put on, they have some funny, funny medications that they are given. The person goes into kidney failure, comes to you and dies. Can you, as a doctor, say that, no, you want to sue that um, other healthcare establishment? You have every right. You do? Yes. And then my oh, colleagues, we are let me, let me give you an instance. We have, <laughs> we have worked on cases where mm-hmm. doctors have come out to tell us, that, look, the doctor that did this before the patient came to see me did a very terrible thing. Mm-hmm. I want us to sue that doctor because if we don't stop these kind of things, issues like this will never stop. And I'm yeah. ready to come and testify in court. Oh, okay, so that can be done. Why not? Because okay. you want to safeguard the integrity of, I mean, the practice that you are involved in. Yeah. So if yeah. you have people yeah. coming amongst you to cause trouble, it's not a matter of you being a doctor that will give you the license to take legal action. You can see in your individual capacity. Mm. I don't know, mm. because you have seen the thing and you have seen what has been done previously mm-hmm. and you deem it to be bad enough. Sometimes, even malpractice transcends into the arena of criminality. Yeah. Because people do things that are, I mean, obviously the law will look at the intent behind why somebody will do whatever he or she has done. Mm. So it moves from this negligence bit, which is obviously I mean, civil in nature, into criminality. So if a practitioner sees a patient and then, because obviously when the patient comes, they'll give their history. They'll tell you, start by telling you, they won't tell you immediately why they are there. Mm-hmm. They'll start by saying, oh doctor, make a hospital back, and then we go see a doctor, and we hear me say, 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 and we hear me so you, in your professional estimation, mm-hmm. would be able to ascertain and know that, ah, so which kind of doctor is this? Mm-hmm. Is he really a qualified doctor? Mm-hmm. And why would the person do that? I mean, sometimes the person can be qualified, but might not possess a skill to undertake a certain procedure. Mm. I don't know if you get where I'm coming from. I get from. it. So get just, it. it's not merely the fact that you are called a doctor, and for that matter, it's properly certified one though, mm-hmm. but there are certain things that goes beyond you. So for example, let's look at a situation where uh, an MO or a resident wants to undertake a, a procedure that is the reserve or the preserve of a specialist or a consultant. What will happen? It's either because the knowledge does not abound, they will either kill the patient or cause complications, which has to be corrected. And if you are not lucky enough, you can't correct it. In that, such an instance, if the patient misuse, what mm-hmm. is the wrong thing about it. So, coming back to what you just said, mm-hmm. the doctor has every right to pursue a matter on behalf, on behalf of the patient. Of the, patient. Okay. the fact still remains that without the patient, there's no need for the doctor. So, to keep you in the business, you have to the patients are the patient. your customers. You need yeah. to safeguard their interests. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about going in to get compensations per se, but to serve as a deterrent for the other people. Mm. I was talking to a professor, a medical professor, some time back. He's quite old now. And we are talking about medical negligence. He told me, Kwame, look, the situation is so dangerous that another colleague professor of his went to um, a big hospital in Accra, and the doctors there, obviously, they are young doctors, and the people there didn't know he was a supposed professor to so and so, and they treated him anyhow. He nearly died. Mm. He nearly died until he went in there trying to visit him and he saw his condition and what had been given him and all that had been meted out to him. He started asking questions. Then he called the head and said, do you know this professor, so-so-and-so? Meanwhile, the head wouldn't obviously know any patient that comes in there, mm-hmm. so he would not be concerned. Mm-hmm. This is what the people have done to professor this and that. So, oh, prof, we are so sorry. What am I trying to say? 
If practitioners like yourself and your other colleagues do not stand and fight for some of these things, it will happen to you yourselves one day. one day. So they don't have to sit and be shielding people and think that if it doesn't happen to you, it will be your mother, mm. your wife, mm. your child, or your immediate relative. So I think it is something we all have to fight together. Um, initially, when we put up the organization, people thought, oh, these guys are coming to antagonize doctors and nurses. Mm -hmm. and what is mm -hmm. the interest? Mm -hmm. Why would somebody stand up and say, I want to chase people? Mm -hmm. No. We are interested in safeguarding the, lively, the lives of patients yeah. and also bringing some sort of sanity. Some sanity into but the I system. think once patients get more educated, we will be focusing our attention on the system itself because the practitioner works with what's available apart from the skill that they will exhibit that sometimes is problematic and leads to problems. Mm. The, mm. The, the system itself has a whole lot of problems that we need to contend with. Mm. So I think that practitioner has every right to take legal action on behalf of and it's not to say that hey, you are giving out your own. That is not it. <laughs> good, morning. good morning to everybody who is listening. The, the, the comments are coming in thick and fast. Good morning to you, um, Dr. Abnatano. Good morning to you, Dr. Richard Salome. Um, Rich, I hope, I hope you are listening. I think it's about time that the Ghana Medical Association um, sets up a legal wing because we, need, we really need this sort of um, training. And before we go on this, I'm going to ask Kwame, when they are going to train all of us uh, to know some of these uh, basics. So let me open the phone lines now before I read the rest of the comments. You can call us on 0541 We have um, just about 20 minutes to go, so just make your commentary short so I can be answered. 0541 is the number to call. This is the Orange um, Health Lounge. Orange um, 107.9. In disclosing patient's um, information or circumstances surrounding a patient's injury. Um, at all point, it's not when I'm disclosing that, oh, we did this and this happened. Isn't it an admission of guilt? No. It's not, eh? So one of the things we do as an organization is to promote candor amongst practitioners. I mean, you have to stand up and say that. I, but for example, if it's an admission of guilt, I mean, as human as we are, obviously we'll make mistakes. It is the pronouncement of those mistakes that will make us stand up to do the right thing the next time. Mm. Because if you admit that you did this and you didn't do it right, mm -hmm. at least you have some sense, some sort of um, remorse within you, mm -hmm. acknowledging the fact that it is true, I did this and I did not do it well. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure I don't repeat it. There have been instances where patients have brought cases to organization. We mm -hmm. approach the facilities and the practitioners. They come out wholeheartedly to admit the fact, and then the patients will just listen and tell. You see, they just it's not every patient too. Sometimes no, there's some I'm, people I'm, that I'm just talking yes. in general sense. But they will say, say, ah, so you you knew that this thing that you're doing. So it, it has got to communication. Where do you start from? How do you put your case across? Come some, you people come out, some people are naturally You just come out and say that. You just don't come out and say that. Oh, I'm not here. My name is Mufan <laughs> I don't know if you get what I mean. I so get it's it. all about communication. Um, so if you communicate appropriately, you will know how to appeal to I mean the conscience of whoever you are dealing with. And normally, if you have people in I mean as intermediaries, they will know how to I mean bridge that gap and then see how things flow smoothly. Mm, mm, so I mm. think it is important that people voice out or people admit when they go wrong. Mm -hmm. And that will help others to also know that look, as human as we are, errors are bound to happen. We can make mistakes. And when it happens, let us admit it. And let us let it be a learning care for us to I mean ensure that the next thing is done in the right way. Okay. So um um 
Dr. Dr. Diaz says that can can um, your organization um, pay attention to the systemic challenges that are within the system and push for some of these reforms? Um, it's one of the key things we are focusing our attention on. But we have not come out yet because, you see, some of these things, before you come out, you should have done extensive research to mm -hmm. back whatever claims you are making. So you don't end up saying things for people to just punch holes in what you say. So we are working on some of these things to bring a compilation of some of these issues out. And then together, we can all talk about them and find a way to call for I mean, policy reforms and then other structural adjustments. Okay, so um, Chris, Chris Laboreal, I hope I pronounced the name right, says that I think we need to get um, clinical legal staff to accompany doctors or be attached to the, the department or wards or OPDs for legal advice if the doctor is faced with any issue. For example, on the issue of informed consent, lack of consumables, um, lack of beds, power outages, um, lack of reagents, x-ray machine broken down, etc. Sheer delays at the OPD before seeing a doctor. He says that until we make efforts to change our health system or procedures or introducing new forms, we as healthcare workers are actually putting ourselves at risk legally just because our setting does not meet the legal requirements for safe legal practice. And this has been the status quo for ages. Um, now he wants to know, any thoughts on cost <laughs> police form signing who pays is it should it be the police or the patient <laughs> oh i think i think obviously it should be the patient i mean why do you need the police form it's for something mm. something mm. has happened you want to go and then make a claim that you've actually visited the facility or health practitioner mm -hmm. who in his wisdom or knowledge has certified mm -hmm. after examining you that what you are saying is accurate you make a claim that you've been assaulted mm -hmm. and for that uh, reason for example you have a red eye Mm -hmm. It is not the police who can determine the degree of assault and what I mean might have caused. Mm -hmm. So it's a doctor to do an evaluation and give a report and say that when he or she came, I saw this and that and that and that. Then the law will look at it and look at the fact that could that be a result of the slap that the person had? So you are going to use it for your own benefit. I don't mm -hmm. think that should be a matter of... In any case, if you ask the police to pay, nobody will ever get a police report because they won't pay. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, 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 Emmanuel Niokai, okay. um, I haven't, I haven't seen this doctor in years. Um, doc, it's nice to know that you are listening to me. It's been very, very long since I heard. Or um, so you can call us zero five four one zero two two three one eight. So in 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 in. Our health system now, there's a lot of uh, tax shifting. So you get um, sometimes nurses who are experienced trying to sit in um, like for doctors or physician assistants when they are not there. If in that tax shifting process um, something goes wrong, the, let's say the nurse or let's say even like the medical officer or let's say the midwife is doing something that she's not supposed to. But because of systemic challenges, mm. They are forced to do it. If something goes wrong in that scheme of things, uh, who do we hold responsible? They hold the doctor responsible because in the structure of, I mean, healthcare provision, when you just oppose it to, I mean, the legalities, mm -hmm. the doctor is responsible for the deeds from the nurse because okay. he works directly under you. Okay. You give the nurse instructions. When it is one o'clock, administer this uh, injection. Mm -hmm. When it is two p.m., make sure the patient is this. The, the nurse's duty is to monitor the patient and report to you, the doctor. Mm -hmm. So what it means is that you, the doctor, is responsible for the deeds 
of the nest because that engine I'm going to from a nest, mm -hmm. or your nest. Uh huh. So if you don't make sure that things are done properly, I understand what you mean. I mean, you can have somebody who has been in a nursing profession for 30 years, yes, having understood various topics, they seen know it all. all, yeah. And most of the times they're able to do things, mm -hmm. but you do it and take, I mean, go scot free when nothing has happened, mm -hmm. but when something happens. That is where the law will look at the fact that it wasn't your job to do. Mm. Whether you stood in for somebody, whether it was even sanctioned by the doctor and say, oh, I'm going mm. for lunch. These patients have minor, minor issues. Okay, so let me pick this call then we'll continue. Hello, good morning. Hello, good morning. Hello, hello, hello good morning. Yes, your name and where you're calling from, please. Yeah, I'm calling from Kumashi. My name is Yakubu. Okay, Yakubu, kindly go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please, I want to find out about uh, a patient who sent to a hospital. Uh, I think a pregnant woman is sent to a hospital. And then, based on her condition, she was supposed to be carried to the urgent session. An emergency to the urgent session. The wife of the 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 pregnant woman, the husband was not around. So a brother of the man sent the woman to the hospital. So when they were asking for consent form, the man said, "No, no, sorry, on the nurses." So the lady passed on, and then the man. The, the husband of the woman came to take on the case to court. So with this issue, how are you going to solve it? Okay, okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Zero five four one zero two two three one eight. Kwame. So um, I think the issue of consent, like I said. It's just a mere communication between the practitioner and the patient. And then sometimes, depending on the condition the patient presents with, for example, if uh, the patient is unstable, if the patient is unconscious, for which reason he or she cannot give consent, then they fall on the immediate relative who would come with the patient. But some of them also, because they don't understand what it even means to give consent and all that, might be afraid that, look, if I go and sign this form and something happens, I will be held responsible. Now, what preceded the stage where we got to, I mean, trying to procure consent? Mm -hmm. We don't know. We don't know what conversations might have gone on leading to somebody's refusal to sign a consent or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, like I said earlier, it is only the facts that will determine whether the husband who wants to take the hospital on will have his day in court. Mm. Because... The hospital will also come up and tell you that, look, we said A, B, C, D, E. But what is critical is the fact that it is instructive to note that it is the duty of the practitioner to resuscitate the patient, you know, I mean, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. They come in in an unconscious state or whatever. Then when the patient is stabilized, mm -hmm. we can start looking at some of these things. So I normally become very hesitant to draw conclusions on matters like this mm. when I am not seized with the facts. The because facts. Okay. even when you are seized with the facts, further investigations always reveal variations in some of the narratives that are given. Mm -hmm. So if we get to know the exact situation, and, as, and what is interesting is even the fact that 
as and when they keep on telling you the story, if you have a knowledge of issues on medical malpractice, you're able to deduce from what they are saying exactly to be able to I mean pinpoint where the lapses might have occurred along mm -hmm. the line. Mm -hmm. But um, if you're not seized with everything, uh, it becomes a bit difficult to try and I mean say who uh had been negligent or what ought to have been done so mm. i'm a bit careful here okay so I, I i'd want to call um one of our listeners he's the regional director for the health facilities regulatory authority um mr said i don't know if we have him on the line okay so mr said we're trying to reach you but it's not going through but i'm hard pressed for time i only have nine minutes left so um I will, will try and raise him for his quick comments on some of these quasi-healthcare facilities that are springing up. And um, okay, we have him on the line now. Okay, hello, good morning. Good morning, sir. Yes, Mr. Seydou, welcome to the Orange Health Lounge. Thank you very much, sir. Yes. Um, so you are the HFA director, regional director for is it for Ashanti Region? Sorry. Yes, Ashanti Region. Oh, okay, nice. Now. Um, I, I, I want to ask you a question first. Um, how do these um, quasi-healthcare facilities okay. get licenses to practice? Because a, 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 a caller or a comment was initially sent about so-called quacks in the system. You are HIFRA. You give them the licenses. Okay. Um, your line is not clear, but if I hear you well, you are asking how uh, does the quasi facility, some of them, get licenses, isn't it? Yes. All right. So now, <clears throat> uh, actually, HIFA doesn't give licenses until uh, all the requirements in our checklist have been met. Okay. But that said, I like the fact that. Uh, Dogs uh, organization is also coming up to help. There are a lot of quack facilities and quack practitioners in the system. Now, what we need to do is to work together. This idea of medical negligence, a lot of it is done by practitioners that are not qualified mm. and facilities that do not have licenses. Mm. So, in that way, they are hiding and they are doing it. Mm. Uh -huh. mm. But the fact is that we as Ghanaians do not have information on our rights. That is why when we were talking about the patient charter, in fact, I was just laughing when uh, Doc made mention of even Kofanochi, uh, <laughs> when you are climbing the stairs, you see the... I was... You see, before IFA gives you a license, as part of our inspections, you must have the patient charter displayed at the point that Every single client walking into the facility will be able to see and read it. Mm. Mm. Sometimes we even interview the uh, health workers there, whether they are aware of the patient charter. Mm. You see the point? Yeah. Uh -huh. So that is how it's been done. Mm. All said and done, um, I would like that uh, my agency and uh, a dogs organization work together mm -hmm. because um, we have the data and the information and we can always supply that, especially when the person is intending to go to court. Mm -hmm. We can always provide you a data to back the fact that this particular practitioner is not qualified okay. because we do investigation on the certification that you present to us. I see. In fact, as far as 
uh, Russia. Wow. Find out from the institutions whether this particular certificate was awarded to such a so person. Mm-hmm. And we have gone to some other facilities the person has claimed to have worked in the U.S. Mm-hmm. to find out if actually the person has worked there. And wow. if there are any records that are seemingly negative. Wow. The has been able to do that. Wow. 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 Yes. As we wow. speak, I'm happy that this particular subject is now being brought light. Uh, I have about nine uh, letters <coughs> from my uh, in my office as we speak from uh, law chambers, including uh, Shiraz, and even uh, one is coming from uh, a box uh, organization. I see. I see. And you see, when we do that, we are sensitizing the public to know their rights. Mm-hmm. However, we also have to be careful not to let it feel, look like any single act of uh, problem that occur in the facility is a negligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We should, we should, we should let the patients know that mm, okay. because when you go to the facility, there are some things that you should be looking out for. Mm-hmm. If those things are not done or they are not available, you have the right to walk away. Mm. I have always said that ask you can ask the person uh, the 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 person of approach at the hospital whether the person uh, the facility is licensed uh, facility regulatory agency. If mm. if if they have not been licensed, you can walk off. You were section nineteen of Act eight two nine. That's the act that establishes ECRA. Mm-hmm. Clearly states that you must display the license of yeah, health facility boldly. At yes. point that every single client walking in can see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you walk in and you don't see it, so ask. If you ask and they don't have it, please walk away to the next facility. All right. Otherwise, you have the chance of 60-40 against you mm-hmm. that when you seek medical care at the facility, things will go wrong. All right, sir. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm really grateful. I'm hard-pressed for time. I, I will call you after the show for a, a brief right, discussion. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much, much for joining us. Thank you, sir. And um, that was the regional director for the Health Facilities Regulatory Authority, Ashanti Region, uh, Mr. Enusta Rashid. And um, we'll, we'll get them into the studio, you know, one of these days to talk about some of these issues with um, how facilities are licensed. Because now you see hospitals and clinics and pharmacies opening up at every corner and you're not really sure who is working there or who is behind that. Kwan, because I'm hard-pressed for time, um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback from people um, who want to know, first of all, are you, are you, do you do any trainings for medical doctors, nurses? Like, do you do trainings at all? Yes, we do trainings. Um, as we speak now, we are in the process of putting up um, Orange 107.9. Health practitioners, we okay. are trying to engage the authorities in the region. We want to replicate it and do the same for all the other regions. It's very important. Uh, very seasoned um, lawyers and some doctors also, just to look um, at um, a medical malpractice holistically mm-hmm. and then offer practitioners the opportunity to also bring to bear practical experiences for all of us to discuss and mm-hmm. then see the way forward to minimize it's very difficult you can't eliminate medical malpractice mm. no, but at least we can minimize the incidence of i mean uh, malpractices so that patients can also enjoy the quality of health care they, they seek to have when they visit this fast so in due course we will bring out a schedule mm-hmm. and they will pick it up from there so if you are um, a medical person doctor nurse midwife physician assistant dentist and you are listening um what i'm going to do is i'm going to share 
that um, update with you when Kwame shares it with me. Please, it, it, it's not really about just finishing and having your license. I think it's about also being properly armed with the necessary information. So you know the limits of what you can do and you also you know, have some legal um, knowledge so that when these things come to you, you don't panic and you get the right sort of advice. Um, my friend Richard Salome says that um, what's the difference between error of clinical judgment and negligence and what situations um, like do these apply? Richard, like I said, you have promised me that you're going to push for GMA um, to get a legal um, wing. So um, I hope when Kwame shares with me the details about the training um, for medical malpractice and negligence, we all, we all just jump on because if you're a health person and you're listening, you need this. Um, we have beautifully run out of time today. Um, I don't know how that happens. I always I don't know how that happens. Um, time just seems to get away from us when we're having a beautiful discussion on the show. But um, I will try my best. Kwame is a very busy man, but I'll try my best to um, get him back here um, on the Orange House Lounge for us to talk again about um, you know specific issues that you know we we have. I, I get I get a lot of questions from practitioners about medical malpractice. So I'll put them together and we'll put together another show. Um, this has been our show. Um, the Orange Health Lounge comes to you every Saturday from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. here on 107.9 FM, Orange FM. Thanks to everybody who joined us live on the radio and those who joined us um, on Facebook as well. This show is proudly sponsored by Marie Stopes International. Marie Stopes International is your number one stop for everything on reproductive health. They're